This episode is sponsored by Foundations of a Yoga Business Group Coaching Program, which is now open for enrollment at teachingyoga.net slash foundations. You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello, yoga teacher. Today's episode is an on-air coaching call where I take a fellow yoga teacher through a mini strategy session. These on-air coaching calls are a great way to get a taste of what it's like to work with me one-on-one, but they're also a fascinating peek into the brain and business of other yoga teachers. The teachers who participate are incredibly generous and brave to allow me to share their experience, their stories on the podcast, and I have so much respect for each of them. If you would like my help with your teaching or your yoga business, I'd love to connect with you. You can find out more about my paid strategy sessions at teachingyoga.net slash coaching. You can also get peer help from other listeners on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group. If you're not a member yet, go to teachingyoga.net slash join. You can pause and do that right now so you don't forget. And when you get back, we'll jump right into today's call. When you asked me, what do you want to talk about? I really, I was like, there's so much to talk about. I, it's, I think it's all related to the niche. So we can talk about it. Yeah. So I think I'm, talking about niche is a huge part of this because I feel like I know my niche, but at the same time, whenever I teach whoever, whoever comes to my class and whoever I, it's a joy to teach, you feel like they are your niche. Like you love them. You love having them in class. And it's not only one age group. It's two different age groups that I have found. So there's a few different ways we can look at that. First of all, it's okay to have more than one niche. For example, I kind of have two sub-niches. There are some things that I work with more beginner yoga teachers on. Mm -hmm. And then there are other things that I work with yoga teachers who are further along. And so when I'm talking about what I do... It's helpful for me to get clear, who am I really trying to talk to today? And so that's one angle of it. Like, yes, you can have some sub niches. The more niches you have, the more complicated your business is. So I want my business to be as simple as possible. (laughs) Our lives are complicated already. Our business is going to be complicated already. So as much as we can simplify, it's better. So what that means is that you might have one niche that you talk to for a season, but you know the other niche is there and you're still serving them and you're still welcoming them, but you're not focused on them when you're creating your content. I have seen that you have been posting regularly on social media. So that content is going to be more powerful. It's going to make a bigger impact if you choose one of your niches to focus on, to really speak to when you write that content. And if you don't want to appear to be all over the place, you probably want to focus on one of those niches for a while. Let's say three months would be a good 
experimental amount of time to say, okay, for the next three months, I'm going to commit to really speaking to this type of person. The other type of person is going to hear you too. They're still going to come. They're still going to be attracted. It is the specificity of our language that draws people to us, that allows people to, to paint a picture of what working with us is like. So the more specific our language is, the more everybody's going to be attracted. But the only way to get your language that specific is to focus on one person. And there was a post on the Yoga Teacher Resource Facebook group just today with a yoga teacher saying, okay, so I am having trouble with my niche because I like to teach a slow flow to women over 40, but I don't know how to say that without sounding a little rude. Like I don't want to say older women or I don't want to say mature women. I don't believe you actually have to call out your population. It's for you to know who you're speaking to, to bring the specificity to your language. And yes, if you have a niche that's so clear, so crystal clear that you can call them out, that's great. But not everybody's there and it's okay not to be there. I will choose one population to speak to, but I don't have to call out that population. I don't have to say, and right now I'm only speaking to moms. But what I'll do is I'll use an example of, you know, when your toddler's throwing a tantrum in the grocery store and everybody who's ever been a mom <laughs> is like, yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Right. But yeah. even people who've not been moms, grand, you know, people who like aunts and uncles maybe, or people who've witnessed toddlers throwing a tantrum in the grocery store, they'll, they'll open their hearts a little bit too. You're not going to completely exclude them. Mm -hmm. You're not speaking to them directly, but they're still going to be attracted by your message if it's right for them. I just want to, you know, be here with you. I just want you to keep talking <laughs> because it sounds good. So what is your niche currently? Let's, let's start there. What's, what's the current iteration? Because we, your niche does not have to be set in stone that it's like, it's a work in progress probably for like 10 years, <laughs> you know, where, where are you at? Or tell me the two niches. I feel like I can relate mostly to moms, mid thirties and up caregivers, you know, who are dealing with multiple tasks who has, whose brain is scattered, mind is scattered. When they're doing one thing, they're thinking of the next thing to do. And I feel like um, that's one of my niche. And the other niche are still moms or caregivers, but a little older, like early retirement. Because these are the two kind of people, two groups of people I see in my classes and who keeps coming back. Yeah, and I have some all women's group that I teach. And those classes, I have a mixture of both. I find it really hard when a young, you know, like in their 20s or early 30s move, walks into a class and they expect, oh, vinyasa flow, there's going to be a lot of strengthening, which is like I do sometimes, but I don't like to teach that to my usual crowd. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't want to tell them, hey, <laughs> this class is not for you. But also at the same time, maybe once in a while, when I feel like in the morning, everyone has that energy to give a slight power flow, we do it. And then the next time those younger group would come back. Um, 
And I feel like, you know, it's just also a part of me that who I want to serve, sometimes seeing the audience, I change my teaching. I have to scrap my sequence. And maybe in the whole room, out of eight people, maybe one would be a caregiver. The rest are all like friends. They came just for a Sunday morning class to sweat a little bit, to have a good time. But those are the two niches. But one of my struggle is when I see beyond my niche, someone walking in, I don't know, is it something in me that wants to please them, wants them to keep me coming back, keep them coming back? Okay, that's so, so, so normal. Every, every, I think, gosh, almost every yoga teacher feels that way. We want to please everybody, but we do ourselves and our regular students a disservice by changing our class to please a brand new person. And what we imagine a brand new person wants, we don't actually even know. Like just because somebody's young and fit does not necessarily mean that they're looking for a workout. Mm -hmm. They're looking to sweat. We don't know what's going on with them. Maybe their grandma died yesterday. Maybe they're super sore from their workout the other day. Like we really don't know. So I think that serving your regulars in a consistent way and allowing those, because I think it's almost more painful if you change your class up to please this person Mm -hmm. and then they come back the next week again because they thought your class was going to be one way. But that week you see that the regulars aren't up for it. And so you don't teach that way. And then they never come back. And now you're even more hurt, right? Mm -hmm. Versus be clear on your intention and your integrity to serve those regulars and only change your class up for them and what they're capable of, not for a brand new person who walks in, unless it's to make it more accessible. Like that is a different story, but you have to be prepared. Like, are you willing to make it more accessible for that person every single time if they keep coming back? If you don't want to change your class permanently, then you do that person a disservice by not giving them a clear picture of what your class is like. Okay. So I started teaching at home, um, like a home studio, but it's very small group of people, like four, five sometimes. And it started off with my usual pace, the way I teach, slow restorative flow. And of course, there's the option. You take the chaturanga, skip the chaturanga, press back straight to down dog, whatever you like, right? Lots of options. (laughs) Um, So people who can, they just do knees, chest, chin. People who can, they do chaturanga. But some people really even have a hard time getting into down dog. So here, like that's, that's where those invitations, you saw the uh, social media post. So it was from one of those social media posts that I said, you know, there are so many options, so many variations, give it a try. So someone said, yes, I want to try your class. And, you know, I love that person as, and I would love them to come to my class, but a usual, even a usual vinyasa flow or a slow flow is not for them someone who has never done a yoga class, someone who has never done any yoga workout so far, and they're in their, they're quite uh, elderly. You know, so they come, they show up, and they're struggling in the class, just walking to the front of the mat, or just holding a warrior two. Like, and I felt like, so I want to help them, but at the same time, I 
what you just said, like doing a disservice to your regular students, you know, and just because she's elderly, I didn't want her to feel like she's not welcome, right? And I wanted her to be, feel that, oh, yoga is for me, mm-hmm. but a group class is not for her, mm-hmm. you know? And my hesitation is telling her, you know, would you like some uh, private sessions which would help you? What do you do in that case when someone like that shows up in your group class who it's not for? Like, even though it's a slow restorative flow or a evening flow, you know, that kind of class, how do you, uh, how, how can you continue to serve them without disserving your usual people? Because they need so much time and attention. And I felt like, my 50% of my attention was on her. And after teaching that day, I felt like, wow, that took so much energy of mine. I was really exhausted, like after just an hour class. Other days, after that evening class, I feel more energized. But that one day I was like, ooh, that was a hard class to teach because just one person took, I mean, my heart and soul and my, my vision, I was using kind of like all my senses to help her. And I felt like I couldn't, I still could not. Yeah. You know, it yeah, was a absolutely. little bit of frustration on my side. And also I was like, I'm not serving the people who usually comes to my class. And I felt bad for them too. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there is a certain range of abilities that it's helpful to have in a class. It is mm-hmm. possible with a lot of training and experience to create classes that accommodate a wider range but what you have to have a good understanding of anatomy and what makes something accessible and what makes something not accessible. One of the things that I think is a hallmark of a great teacher is the ability to predict where people are going to get tripped up. Mm-hmm. If you can't predict where people are going to get tripped up, where people are going to see challenge, then you have to react to that challenge in the moment on the fly. And that's what's so exhausting. But mm-hmm. if as you're creating your sequence, you already know the places Mm-hmm. where people are going to get tripped up. You can either choose to leave a pose out. You can be like, mm, nope, that one's going to be, now that I know that this person's here, I'm not going to do that pose. Or you can have an idea in your head of a variation that is accessible because every single pose and movement in yoga can be regressed to an accessible place. Mm-hmm. Now to do that in a group setting is a tall order, especially on the fly. So uh, what I'm not saying is that you should have been able to do this. (laughs) That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that it is possible to teach very different abilities in the same class when you understand how the body works. When you understand that one person reaching their foot back and keeping their toe on the floor and taking their arms out to the side and the another person can go all the way into warrior three and you can cue that in both of those versions in 30 seconds and everything in between, right? So the first thing that I want to call your attention to or just open your mind to is that you can accommodate more people, but you have to change your idea of what yoga looks like. And there may be certain poses that won't be um, it, it just won't make sense to teach in, in a group with a wide variety. So you want to know ahead of time <laughs> if you have a wide variety so that you can plan around that. But to your question about 
how do I approach her? What do I say? Approach her from a spirit of service because your discomfort in telling her that she could benefit from some private sessions is placing your own comfort over her benefit. And there's nothing wrong with that. You're allowed to do that. But a lot of yoga teachers, they just don't see that perspective. How stepping out of your comfort zone to invite somebody into a private session, it is in service of them. And that's what most yoga teachers really want more than anything else is to serve their students. So it's uncomfortable, but the exact words you choose doesn't matter. The, the, what matters is coming from a place of, of love and desire to help. There's a lot of hesitation to ask your group students to invite them to private. And that's, that's somewhere I really struggle. I don't know. I just feel like I'm trying to sell something. Yeah. Well, if that's how you feel, that's how it's going to come off. It's going to be really awkward. So you have to resolve that inside yourself. It's not for you. It's for her. If you come from that place, it won't be awkward. And it's totally okay for her to say no. And it has no reflection or bearing on you and your teaching if she says no. Yeah, because one day there was not a lot of, not many people showed up and there was only two people. And I saw that at the end of the day, they were really exhausted. So I'm like, you know what, since it's just the three of us, why don't we do a restorative class? And they just loved it. And that's exactly what they needed. And they were like, can we have that once a month? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. But I can't do that when, when there's everyone. And when I advertise the class as an evening flow, I mean, it can still be a, it's just not holding the posture for a long time with all the supports and the props. Why don't you do a workshop? Why don't you do, I mean, this is actually very parallel to what you were just talking about, even though it seems a little bit of a side, uh, side topic, invite your regular class students to work with you more deeply. Give people the opportunity to go deeper, whether that's in a workshop or a one-on-one -on -one setting. Some of them will say yes, and both of you will benefit. Mm. Some of them will say no, and both of you will benefit, I would say, from that too. Because if somebody says no to you, one, they have practiced setting boundaries and being honest, and you have practiced not taking it personally when somebody sets a boundary with you and is honest. So seems pretty win-win. <laughs> Whether they say yes, everybody wins. Whether they say no, everybody wins. I'll give it a try starting next week. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a practice and, and learning how to invite people to work with you more deeply, coming from a place of worthiness. Mm -hmm. I have something to offer. I have knowledge and tools and attention that will serve you, but also non-attachment, right? So it's worthiness and non-attachment. I'm worthy to make this invitation and you're welcome to decline it. It doesn't, it's not going to shake my worthiness. I like that. So my 300-hour training is starting this weekend. Congratulations. Thank you. And I'm nervous. I'm like, <laughs> I'm having this anxious feeling that planning classes, doing the work for the training, showing up as a teacher, you know, planning for the classes and doing all the other things that we do in life, being a mom, 
and other obligations being able to carve time for myself and yeah so one thing is they will there will be a mentor and i i did mention it to one of the teachers saying i'm having a kind of like a anxiety attack just thinking of of the training and the materials we would be covering and how to take it and she's like don't worry that's why there will be a mentor so just believe in the process i'm like yeah so what can you let go of to make space for this i feel like i need to give up a class i have all the spaces that i had i filled it with group teaching and i was thinking about this before i was talking to you i mean before we started this and i was like really like i had wednesday evening off and i squeezed in a class i'll have to hold the next session which is another 6 weeks and probably after that maybe it would be a good time training is starting and I, let me see how it goes and then i can probably better assess the situation and see if i really need to let go or continue yeah is there anything else that you could let go of maybe just mentally other oh, fear i don't know but recognize that we tend to use up a lot of our mental energy worrying about things that don't have any basis in reality so yeah it could be the fear mm-hmm. it could be like some kind of attachment to your house looking a certain way I don't know. That's like that's an inquiry for you to figure out. Like what can you let go of to make space for this training? <laughs> yeah, I have to think about that. Yeah, but I'm really excited. I'm really excited to go through the training, learn more, and hopefully this will give me the tools which will equip me better as a to become a better teacher. So, I'm excited. So one thing that you might do is if you have a journaling practice maybe journal about it daily for a little while what can i let go of just to stir up that question in your brain and then your brain your subconscious is going to continue to work on it just as you walk through your life so if you plant those seeds of this question of like i have the intention to let go of some things that aren't serving me or let go of some things that are extra or let go of some things that maybe even just temporarily let go of some things and let me plant those seeds and see what my unconscious comes up with and so the best way to do that is to return to that question multiple times right plant the seeds and then check in plant the seeds check in and see what your brain comes up with <laughs> okay i'll let you know and the um, and the system that you put us put you made us go through so many questions a little inquiry within ourselves those were very helpful so to get everybody up to speed fari is talking about the foundations uh, of a yoga business group <laughs> coaching program which she did in the fall and so she's talking about some of the inquiry work that mm-hmm. that we did together yeah and future groups continue to do I'm uh in the middle of a another session and I'm going to open up another another group starting in March mm-hmm. which is probably close to when this episode's going to get released so one of the main thing which I think is the very basic of being a yoga teacher was admitting that I was a yoga teacher you know I was teaching yoga classes but I was just taking it as a hobby I wasn't taking it seriously. I was like, oh, I'm doing it because I love it. I didn't even have the mindset that I'm a yoga teacher. This is serious. 
and this is a mindset. I have to take it seriously. It's in the realm of serving people. Um, even though after class, you do hear people say, oh, it was a great class. I felt so good um, when you read that poem or that quote is wonderful. I just never, it's, it's a difference in mind, mindset and shift of mindset that happened. And it's been really useful. And the fact that we have to think of ourselves to take this profession seriously, that there is, there is so much to do here. You know, it's, um, there's so much opportunity, so much opportunity for self-growth. And that's what I have tapped into. Like, it, I, I, I feel like I just, I just tasted the water with you. Um, I just tipped my toes on it and got a taste of, you know, the depth, how it can be. There's always like, you get so overwhelmed with the amount of trainings and knowledge you can achieve, but you also get a little direction of how to prioritize it or what you can do after what, or what mm. can be done first. What is the first thing to tackle and the next maybe. I'm curious if you were not taking yourself seriously as a yoga teacher, why did you sign up for foundations of a yoga business? Like oh. Some part of you must have wanted to take it seriously to sign up, right? I did. Yeah. But I just didn't know how. Mm, that you makes know? sense. Yeah. Uh, I just did not know how because the people, most of the studio owners, um, they're very nice, but of course they don't talk to you about yoga business right? Even though you see them, you attend their class, and you may have a good relation with them, they will never tell you that you as a yoga teacher should take this seriously. You as a yoga teacher should consider yourself as an entrepreneur. Um, and they and probably that, don't even think that. They probably exactly. have never had that thought, most of them. Exactly. And in our 200-hour teaching, our training, our mindset or, or what I came out, like it was a wonderful training. And, you know, one of the main things that I got out of it is how to teach group classes, you know, show up for group classes, give them a good workout, give them an amazing time, a good yoga shivasana. <laughs> but besides group class, there was not much that I was exposed to or I didn't know of, mm -hmm. you know, I, I have seen workshops here and there and in studios. Also, it's a mindset that you just don't know what you're capable of doing until someone tells you to give it a try. So listening to your podcast, you know, was so helpful just with asking the question. So when I saw the, I think it was in an email or also on your Facebook resource page, you, when you mentioned that there would be a course for the teachers, I was like, yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I need to take it <laughs> because I realized that I have done for so long other things. And now I'm at a phase where I feel like I can turn this into a career. Like I can take this seriously. I, I can grow as a teacher. I can grow better as a human being and continue my growth chart without losing track. And so why not take it seriously? And why just continue to take it as a hobby? So that's the mind shift that I had. And that's why I came to you. Yeah. And, you know, having it as a hobby is fine. It's right. fine if that's what people want. Anybody who wants to teach as a hobby, that's beautiful. Exactly. And there is a separate and very valuable amount of growth available by going beyond that. Mm -hmm. 
I think I was at a point in my life where I wanted to do what really makes me happy. Mm. And I have tried going back to nine to five job as a researcher. It didn't serve me. I just felt like, I don't know, I was going through a phase where I was missing yoga while at work. I was like, I would rather skip work and be in a yoga class right now. And right after that, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do the 200 hour training. I just, I want to know more about this. Why am I craving this yoga so much? So it was building over time, little by little. And, uh, but I was also thinking, how can I, you know, do better in this instead of trying to have a career as well as doing this part time. Mm. And I think it's so important to notice what you, what drove you to become a yoga teacher, which is this love of teaching and this love of yoga specifically, that all the decisions you make moving forward, you measure them against that, that you keep that love, right? Because there is a possibility when you take on teaching yoga as a business and as a career to do all the things and lose the love of it. But I don't think that even works. I think you have to come from that place of inspiration. That's where you're going to be actually the most successful and the most fulfilled. So just like in the yoga sutras, the cities, the superpowers, they can actually distract the yogi from the path. That just because you can do something doesn't mean that it's beneficial. So that's the measurement to, is to come back to that place of joy and love that drove you to teach yoga in the first place. But I also found a lot of healing in it, which made me realize this is something more than just physical movement. After doing the training, I started practicing on my own. And that's when I realized, wow, this is like everyone says that this is a beautiful gift. How can you not share? And that's when I'm like, maybe I should sub and see how it feels. And that's how I went into teaching. I, was, I thought like, you know, I spent eight years in college. And after that, why spend more money into going to college again and doing things that I don't really like? But then when I found yoga, I was like, I want to learn more. Like that love for knowledge and that willingness, I don't know, that inspiration. It was like a plant was seeded and I wanted to do more. So at that time, I found ways, I made ways to make it happen, even though childcare was an issue, financial was an issue. But as Paul Coelho said, like if you want something to happen, when you desire something from the from the depth of your heart, the universe conspires to make it happen. And that's, I think, what made me feel like, yeah, I want to do this. And that's how the 300 hour also <laughs> went into being because I was like contemplating for a long time. I think I asked you before also, right? What training should I take? I just had to figure out like, okay, after 200 hour, let me get a good 300 hour program so that I have the basics. And I compared between two very uh, well-known programs here. And then after a couple of months of going back and forth, and I also spoke to one of my teachers who I did the restorative training with. And I asked her, and she's like, first thing you need to decide, do you want to be a yoga teacher or a therapist? Because I was all over. I was thinking, I want to go to the Maryland University of Integrative Health for yoga therapy program. And she's like, 
first thing first, you decide teacher or therapist. I'm like, for now, I want to be a teacher, you know, and therapist. If I want more, <laughs> I'll decide on that. But for now, she's like, then do 300 hours. So that was very helpful. And then I asked the students and compared the programs and their, the, what they cover that really resonated with me. You can give me five things to do while I'm trying to tackle everything or things to consider. You want me to give you five things? Yes. I mean, five advice, five list of advice. You know, as I'm embarking on this journey. One I already gave you. Ask yourself what you can let go of. Okay. Two, let yourself be a good enough student. Three, follow the joy. Pay attention to what brings joy. Follow that. I like that. I Isn't like three enough? That. Yeah. <laughs> Five is a little much. Okay. You know, I think three is about what the human brain can really memorize and and hold on to like people with really excellent memories can do five or maybe even more but on average I think three is a good number of intentions to have or or ideas to hold follow the joy that's been my mantra do what brings you joy it's a high level motivating factor right? Humans are motivated by different things so some of us are motivated by fear or anxiety or ambition but being motivated by joy is like, I think that's where it's at. Different from pleasure, right? It's not about pleasure that is fleeting, but joy that is connecting to the eternal, the unchanging. All right, Faria, well, thank you for taking the time to chat with me this afternoon. Thank you. And I do want to hear the results of your contemplation as you figure out what you're going to let go of to make space for this training. Cause I know your life is full <laughs> already mm -hmm. and I know you really want to devote yourself to this training and, and enjoy it and appreciate it. Making space to let other things in. We never let go of anything permanently, right? There's always a circular experience to life. Like we let go of spring and it comes back again <laughs> the next year. So, you know, recognize that the training is a season in your life. Mm -hmm. And anything that you're letting go of now, it's not that you're permanently letting go of it. It's temporary. We should have a podcast talking about you. The first episode is. But I want to know the details, like your daily life, what it looks like, your schedule. Do you want to be the one to interview me? I would love to. Okay. Yeah, because I'm sure so many yoga teachers can learn so much. Maybe, <laughs> but I'm happy to do it. I think it sounds fun. I'll release it on the second anniversary of the podcast. Because I remember someone did interview you. Mm -hmm. That was the first episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. But you can do it again. You can ask all the questions you want to know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll send you an email. Okay. Bye, Faria. Take care, mother. Bye-bye. If you are ready to start taking yourself seriously as a yoga teacher, but you don't know where to start, I would love to have you in the next round of Foundations of a Yoga Business. Whether you're ready to hit the ground running right now or are trying to decide if this is the right path for you, 
Foundations will give you an overview of what it takes to treat your teaching like a career instead of a hobby. I created the Foundations program to fill a gap in skills that are not covered in teacher training, yet are essential to be a successful professional yoga teacher. These include self-inquiry to make sure that you create a business that's actually true to your values, systems to make your business sustainable, and branding and marketing to make sure that you can stand out from the crowd. If you're listening to this episode the week it was released, registration is currently open. If you sign up by Wednesday, March 18th at midnight, you'll also get a pre-recorded mini course on email marketing as a bonus. Go to teachingyoga.net slash foundations for more information and to sign up. If you're listening to this episode later on, you can also go to the very same link to get on the wait list for the next time I run the program. That's teachingyoga.net slash foundations. Probably my favorite part of the program is that it isn't just focused on learning. It's also focused on building community and accountability. When you sign up for foundations, I match you with a group, a small group of other yoga teachers, including one accountability partner, and you'll get instructions on how to meet separately from the bigger group to create a more intimate community of support and accountability. You do not need a certain amount of teaching experience in order to benefit from this program, but you do need to be curious and open and willing to shift your thoughts about what business actually means and what it takes to be successful as a yoga teacher. I called this program Foundations because just like when we're teaching yoga, there are certain concepts that we will keep coming back to again and again, no matter how long we teach. And what I teach in Foundations of a Yoga Business are the same principles and concepts that I personally go back to over and over to keep my business running and to make sure that it stays in integrity with my values. If you are curious about foundations and you're wondering whether or not it might be what you need right now as a teacher, go to teachingyoga.net slash foundations because there's a lot of information on that page. And if you still have questions, scroll all the way down to the very bottom because there will be a link to book a call with me. I'm happy to hop on the phone with any yoga teacher who's considering signing up for foundations of a yoga business. Now, I do not think this program is for everyone. And if you hop on the phone with me, I will be 100% honest with you about whether or not this is the right time for you. And also whether or not this is the right program at all. When I get on the phone with you, I can ask you just a few questions and gauge pretty quickly whether or not you're ready for the information in this program or whether maybe you already have most of it dialed in. So again, you can find the link to sign up for a quick check-in with me at teachingyoga.net slash foundations. Scroll to the very, very bottom for that link. And to all of you still listening, whether you are ready to take yourself seriously as a yoga teacher or whether you are perfectly happy teaching yoga as a hobby and maybe listening to this episode even cemented that for you, I think all of us who hold the identity of yoga teacher need to have a sense of what our personal practice means to us, what that term personal practice means, and to make it a priority in our lives. I'm really excited for you to hear next week's episode, which is all about yoga's internal practices. 
I have a guest who is a longtime 30 plus year practitioner uh, from the Himalayan tradition. And we're going to talk about how to prioritize your personal practice and what yoga's internal practices have to offer us as yoga teachers. I will see you then. 